following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. I'd like to welcome everyone again. My name is Gail Iverson, and I am filling in this evening for Mark Nunberg, our guiding teacher who is on a retreat on the East Coast, and he'll be returning on Tuesday. Just like to introduce myself, I started practicing Vipassana meditation in 1987, and I um, was one of the founding members of a group in the Twin Cities called the Twin Cities Vipassana Collective. And we've been uh, organizing a retreat since 1987, Vipassana retreats. Um, currently, we do two retreats each year where we bring in a teacher from a nationally known teacher, and we have a one-week retreat in the winter and a 10-day retreat in the summer. And uh, I also have been practicing at Common Ground since 2002, and I am currently the chair of the Common Ground Board. So I'd just like to review a little bit. Um, I want to continue on the topic that I spoke about last week, which is welcoming things as they are. And last week I talked about um, this using this practice with uh, the worrying, planning, uh, restless mind. And this week I'd like to um, use this um, practice idea, welcoming things as they are, with um, discomfort. especially uh, discomfort uh, as we experience it in the body. So my first teacher, Shenzhen Young, uh, had quite an interest in this topic. I did a lot of research and uh, exploration and uh, explored his personal experience with it. And um, I think that his... Um, way of talking about it is can be quite useful for us. Uh, Shenzhen is a linguist and a mathematician and he um, so he has when he uh, talks about things he uses very precise language which it can be useful and he also uh, oftentimes uses mathematical formulas to describe um, mindfulness. And uh, one of the formulas that he uses now, in order to understand these formulas, you only need to understand grade school math. So that's fortunate for those of us who are not uh, mathematicians. He, I'm sure he, I know he has much more advanced formulas, but at any rate, he keeps those more to himself for when he's talking to his scientist friends. But um, his um, formula, he makes a, distinguish, a distinction between pain and suffering. And his uh, formula for this is that um, pain times resistance equals suffering. So pain multiplied by resistance equals suffering. So most of the time, as human beings, we don't experience pure pain. By the time the 
what we call pain, if we're conscious of it, it's already mixed with resistance. We usually, we oftentimes use the terms pain and suffering as interchangeable words oftentimes. But in Shenzhen's formula, there is there are these two separate entities that are involved. So if you, um, say for instance, have 10 units of pain and you have 10 units of resistance to the pain, those multiply together and that equals your experience will be of 100 units of suffering. Uh, likewise, if you have 10 units of pain and you have 100 units of resistance, that translates into your experience of a thousand units of, of suffering. So, um, and of course, if you, as we know, if you multiply anything times zero, you get zero. So if you have uh, pain and zero resistance, there's zero suffering. And actually, this is just a formulation of, um, of the Four Noble Truths that um, there is suffering, in this case, the physical discomfort, the discomfort in the body. And um, there is a cause of the suffering. The resistance is the same as craving. Um, the pushing away, in this case, pushing away the unpleasant, or it can also mean, if there is pleasant, the grasping on the pleasant and the attaching, holding on to the pleasant. And so that's um, what the, the cause of suffering is. And then the third um, noble truth is that there is a cessation of suffering. And the Buddha says this should be understood. So um, how can we understand this resistance? Well, um, the practice of mindfulness, this bringing moment by moment non-judgmental awareness to our experience. Um, this is a way to see clearly, it's kind of like our developing our internal microscope that um, can start to see that these are two separate entities, that there's um, the pain and there's the reaction to the pain. And um, we can see very clearly how when the reaction is large, the suffering that results is large, and the reaction is uh, small, then the suffering is reduced. So I'd like to take a moment. Uh, Shenzhen has written this book called Breakthrough Pain, where he talks about um, ways to work with um, physical discomfort. And when he talks about physical discomfort, he includes um, it's any kind of um, discomfort that it's arises from any source. It can be of a physical nature. It could be of an emotional nature. It could be mental. Um, all of those things can be uh, produce discomfort in the body. So um, that is a kind of a broad um, looking at. I mean, whenever we have physical pain, there's naturally emotional reactions and uh, mental reactions to that. When we have emotional or mental pain, 
there's um, physical sensations we're aware of that that are associated with that discomfort. So I'd just like to read um, from Shinzo's book on um, what he has to say about um, the practice of meditation or mindfulness. Everybody has had meditative experiences, although you may not have thought of them that way at the time. Many people hold stereotypes about what it means to meditate, but I prefer to define meditative states in terms of the experiences of daily life. If you think about an activity in your life that has been meaningful to you, you will probably remember times when you were very focused and present during that activity and other times when you were scattered and unfocused. Whatever the activity you were engaged in, running, playing, excuse me, running, playing the guitar, making love, recall how at the times when you were completely present and focused, the activity was incomparably more fulfilling. Everyone is aware of these fluctuations in our degree of presentness or focus in daily life. In fact, if you reflect back on your life, you may remember a few very significant times when you became extraordinarily focused. This state of extraordinary focus generally takes place under one of two circumstances. Sometimes it occurs when you're particularly relaxed, perhaps walking in the forest alone, or after a particularly meaningful experience of making love, for example and you are able to enter a state of extreme presence and deep quiet. The other circumstance under which this state of extraordinary focus can occur is at the opposite end of the spectrum, in dangerous, even life-threatening situations. You're about to be involved in a car accident. You think you're going to drown. You're physically accosted. At those moments, you find that time slows down. You're peaceful and you are extremely present and focused on what is happening and thus able to deal with the situation more effectively, both subjectively and objectively. Everyone acknowledges fluctuations in their day-to-day level of focus, and many people have had occasional experiences of extraordinary focus. If asked, most people would agree that in the focused state, life is deeper and more fulfilling. However, what few people realize is that focus is that the focused state is something that can be cultivated through systematic practice. Thus, your concentration level does not have to be controlled by day-to-day random fluctuations, and you do not need to wait for extreme or unusual conditions to enter the zone. Your baseline of presence and focus can be elevated through systematic practice. Therefore, both in terms of your subjective world and your objective performance, the entire scale at which you live your life can be elevated across the board. So I'd like to um, share a story. About um, a retreat that I did um, early on with Shenzhen and actually how I came to uh, know about him. In the mid-80s, I um, became interested in uh, looking for a spiritual practice. I, had, I was raised Catholic and I had um, 
left that when I was uh, when I graduated from high school, and I had you know looked I had done some TM some uh, transcendental meditation and I kind of looked at uh, a couple of other religious practices, but I had never really found anything that um, I felt really drawn to, and so um, in the mid 80s I a group of uh, a few friends of mine and a few family members of mine uh, decided to form this spiritual book club and uh, we were all were kind of seeking a, you know some kind of spiritual practice and so we would choose a book each month and then we would read it and get together and discuss it and at, um, at the time um, the uh, man that I was married to got a request from a friend of his who lived in Los Angeles. And what she wanted him to do was to find a carburetor for her 1962 Dodge Dart because she couldn't find one in California. And so he complied with the request, sent her the uh, carburetor. And she, uh, as a thank you, sent him a book which was Joseph Goldstein's The Experience of Insight. And he read the book, and he was quite impressed with the book. And I don't know, for those of you um, who might not be familiar with Joseph Goldstein, he is um, kind of the father of Vipassana meditation in the West. Uh, he was one of the founders of Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts, and uh, which had been the supplied the teachers for most of the uh, many, many of the people who practice uh, mindfulness or Vipassana meditation in this country. And it, the book is a compilation of uh, talks that he gave during a one-month retreat. So it's quite a systematic review of the practice, um, both the principles of the practice and the um, application of the practice. So. Um, we decided to read this for the book club, and when I read the book, I, I said, oh, well, that's it. That's what I've been looking for. Well, there it is. <laughs> so um, I was quite uh, excited about this, and then to um, make things even better, uh, my sister was working, who was a member of the book club. She was working at the university at the time at the Humphrey Institute, and she got a flyer that came across her desk um, saying that Shenzhen Young, this Vipassana teacher from Los Angeles, was going to come and um, give a lecture at the Unitarian Church in St. Paul. And so some of us from the book club decided to go over and uh, hear Shenzhen's lecture. And um, the, the lecture was really met my expectations. And um, I, he also did, he did a guided meditation during that um, along with the lecture. And um, I remember like for a week afterwards, I could like, kind of tune into that um, feeling of peace that I had experienced when he had given that meditation. And he also said something that um, was very encouraging to me. He said that um, the ordinary person could um, experience the kind of, um, have a kind of experience spiritual experiences that you read about in um, textbooks and in um, the, the lives of uh, spiritual um, 
adepts or masters, whatever, um, by devoting um, the time that a person would devote to a serious avocation or hobby. And this was quite a relief to me because I thought this was something that I could do. This was something I could commit to. Um, and I had, when I had done some reading um, earlier, I had read a book by Alan Watts. And in the book, I he was talking about how attachment was the cause of suffering, and that you know to go beyond uh, that what we needed to do not to suffer was to go beyond attachment. And um, but it sounded to me like what he was saying was that you needed to like go to the Himalayas and find a cave and spend 20 years, and you know that would uh, be a, like the only way that you could um, experience this. So at, at that time, I wasn't ready to go to Himalayas and find a cave, so I kind of you know, put it aside. But here Shinsen was saying, you know, devote the time that you would to a serious avocation or hobby. So um, at this time, he was uh, coming four times a year and doing retreats uh, down in Winona at the Tau Center. So he, you, you had an option of either going for two days or four days. So the first time I signed up for two days, and, and I was you know, very glad that I had gone and definitely wanted to continue to learn more. So I signed up for the, I think that was in May, and he was coming back in July again. So I signed up for that four-day retreat. And um, at the retreat, he was sharing some of his experiences that um, he had had with working with um, pain. And the first one that he shared was that he had, we'll mention that um, Shenzhen lived as a monk in Japan for a number of years. And so he's a very experienced meditator. But um, at one point, he uh, was uh, sitting at night. I think he was at a retreat. And he um, experienced this um, incredibly intense burning sensation in his body. And he said that it you know, felt like uh, you know, somebody would have th- third degree burns over much of their body. And he, he said his physical reactions were you know, as though he were experiencing that for real. And, he was just kind of shaking, and um, his, you know, his face was kind of distorted. But he was meditating, so he you know, was just able to be with those intense sensations and uh, to be have some continuity, you know, have a very continuous awareness of them. And after I don't know, after a long time of sitting, the sensations. Um, broke up, uh, subsided. And he said that he knew that that had been, that that he had um, experienced uh, purification um, by having gone through that experience. And that he knew that um, he wasn't, that, you know, if something of that uh, level of severity would would happen to him, he didn't have the kind of fear that he had before that, because he knew that um, 
he would be able to um, to be with it and not to have this incredible suffering. Um, he would be able to separate um, the pain and the resistance. He would have, be able to have some um, awareness of, of those two components. So the other thing that he shared was that he had done a retreat and he had become quite interested in this exploration of physical discomfort. And so as I'm sure some of you know who have done um, retreats, uh, especially no week-long 10-day retreats or whatever, that um, the for whatever reason, we're not used to um, not having any distractions. And at retreats, there aren't any distractions. We just sit and walk and eat and listen to meditation instructions. And so oftentimes our body, you know, the, the sensations that we do get in our body are um, seem more um, intense than, I mean, they can seem quite intense, even though we're not in any physical pain. So um, he decided that when he, at this retreat, um, in the, each afternoon, he would sit for four hours without getting up. And you know, just to explore the, um, his relationship to physical discomfort. So he did this, and um, he saw every afternoon, it would take about four hours, whatever came up in terms of the physical discomfort, it would subside or dissolve at the at the, you know, the end of this set. And um, then he would go to dinner, and the um, pleasantness of the dinner would be um, incredibly heightened <coughs> because of this uh, focus and concentration that he developed. One thing about pain is that it um, can really focus us, um, kind of holds our attention. So um, anyway, I found this all very interesting. The, the last thing that I remember him saying is that it was really helpful to be still, um, not to move the body. That um, the uh, whatever um, we were, uh, whatever this process was, that um, we were you know, developing to see the, this distinction between um, <coughs> resistance and pain, that um, sitting as still as possible was, uh, was helpful. And you know, we can kind of even see that. I mean, we, we can notice when we are kind of restless that our mind tends to be um, rather restless too. So. On the last night of the retreat, he said um, that he that anybody who would like to join him was going to do some extracurricular sitting that evening, and that anybody who wanted to was welcome to join him. So I was pretty curious about what he'd been talking about, and so I decided that you know I would do this. So uh, it turned out it was just he and I in the meditation hall, and so I sat there sitting on a sesa bench like this. And after a while, there was this um, pain that developed in my thigh. And it was, it got pretty intense. I mean, definitely 
I would, normally I would have, um, you know, maybe definitely tried to do something about it. And, but I was really interested in, in investigating what he had said, and I, I, for whatever reason, I had a lot of uh, faith and confidence in what he had said, and the thing of the ordinary person being able to um, to uh, have this kind of mindfulness. So um, I sat, and of course there were no bells or no clocks, so I didn't know how long I was sitting there, but I just decided that I was going to sit there until um, there wasn't a resistance to that pain. And what it turned out to be when I went to my room, it was after about four hours, the resistance to the pain um, dropped away. So um, then the other thing that Shinsen had uh, told us is that this continuity, continuity of awareness was very important. So the next day, I, when we, I was leaving the retreat, I had an intention of continuing this um, this awareness as much as possible. So even when I was I got a ride home and I um, kept some of the focus um, um, put back in my body, and when I got home, I, I was planning on going to sleep and I laid down and whatever energy had been released by um, this. Uh, breaking up of the resistance to the pain, um, I w- was not able to sleep. But it, it was fine. I was, was perfectly content not to sleep. And um, so, you know, just was mindful of uh, mostly focusing on what was happening with the body. And then fortunately, I, was, I had just finished some schooling, so I was on vacation didn't have anything that I was doing at that time. So I, the next day I continued, like I have some retreat, I continued walking meditation and, and um, sitting meditation. And then the next night I, I just sat all night. Um, whatever energy, it was just keeping me going. So, um, so I sat. And then the next morning I got up and I decided that I wanted to go for a walk. It was about 6 o'clock in the morning. And um, so I I went out for this walk. I lived by the uh, River Parkway. So I took off walking down the river road. And um, the first thing that I encountered was this uh, runner was coming towards me. And he gave me this big smile and greeted me. And there was just like this flood of warmth, I guess his endorphins must have really been going strong. It's just this flood of warmth that was just, you know, went through my whole body. So I kept on my walk um, and, you know, just, but it was interesting too. It was just like, there was just the awareness. There wasn't like an attack, you know, like, oh, that was great. You know, the mind didn't start talking about it. So I um, kept on walking and uh, came to the bridge and there, uh, across the Franklin Bridge, and there was this man who was standing by the bridge. Now, there weren't many people out at 6 o'clock in the morning. And um, I could, you know, I just got an icky vibe from him. And he 
you know, he said something. I don't remember what he said to me, but, you know, like, oh, would you like to you know, come here early or whatever? And um, so at first I was, you know, I was kind of like, oh, well, what? But immediately there was just this knowledge just to turn to him, acknowledge him, and say, well, thank you. Just, and just continue on. And so then just, you know, this wave of just anxiety or fear or whatever just and went through the body and then it was gone. That was it. Uh, no more thoughts about it. Just continue on the walk. And um, so, and there were, and then I, I did uh, see a couple of other people and there was just kind of this transparency, sort of this um, wave-like uh, energy and, but just could kind of, could see there was sort of a transparency, but you could just sort of kind of see the heaviness of the suffering that they were carrying with them. And um, so I continued this. I, as I said, I had some time off and uh, just continued being as mindful as I, I could be. Um, you know, doing, I, I can, you know, started doing other activities. I went swimming and... Um, did some other things. I didn't see too many people, but um, like eating was amazing. Like eat a half an apple, completely satisfied, completely fulfilled. Um, and I went to this class that I was taking, and it was a class on acupuncture. It was just so totally fascinating. I'd been to that class many times before, and it had never produced that kind of fascination before. <laughs> um, so anyway, I don't really uh, experienced what Shenzhen was talking about, about things being fulfilling. Um, making the bed, I remember making, putting new sheets on the bed. Wow, that was really a cool experience. <laughs> and also, not the reactivity. The um, My neighbor, uh, an afternoon uh, started a, his grill spraying a lot of uh, starter fluid on it and it you know it came in the bedroom window and normally I would have you know like run over and shut the window and go ah <laughs> and it was just like oh well, that's fine <laughs> no problem <laughs> so just that you know that reactivity I mean it was like I had a choice I, I could leave or I could stay you know, but uh, there was just wasn't this um, reactivity, reactivity um, was not um, was not present. So, um, anyway, as I said, this continued for a couple of weeks, and then I and to the experience like driving the car. I don't know if any of you have read this book, uh, Santi Caro's teacher, um, Buddha Dasa, has written a book called. Uh, the Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree. And it's really a quite interesting book, and he's talking about the um, Buddhist um, characteristic that uh, of no self or of um, not identifying with things as being personal. And so in there he talks about, um, he encourages his students to practice walking without there being a walker. And um, 
indeed, you know, there's that experience. There's kind of, there was this effortlessness, and there was walking, but there wasn't a walker. There was driving the car, but there wasn't a driver. Um, and uh, so I was taking a walk one day again along the river road, and um, this I had this urge to run down this hill, this um, you know, hill going down to the river. And then it was just like, I could break my leg if I do that. <laughs> and that was, that was that fear arose, and there was attachment to that fear. And then kind of this experience <laughs> dissipated. <laughs> so, um, but it did certainly grab my attention, and um, it made me really interested in continuing this practice. So, um, and, and it, I, you know, I, I had already thought that I had, you know, decided to make it a priority, but that um, that was really uh, there was no question after that that you know I would uh, not make this a priority in my life. So I have a tremendous gratitude to Shinzen. I know that um, if he had not been sitting there. I mean, that was such a generous act of his to um, to sit there for four hours, and um, I, I know that without that, you know, his generosity, that I doubt whether I would have um, sat there by myself. So um, I have a lot of gratitude, and, and for his his teachings, um, they they've been very uh, useful in terms of practice. So I will. Um, I just. Oh, I'd like to read one other thing from Shinzen. This is called freezing versus flowing. There are two conditions that need to be understood fully in learning about mindfulness. The first is that freezing or congealing around pain or pleasure brings suffering. When we have pain or discomfort and we freeze up, in that moment we suffer. When we have pleasure or even the, subtle, of even the subtlest sort and we grasp onto it, we suffer. We are cut off from the core of our being. There are two ways to reduce suffering that is connected to pain or discomfort. Decrease the discomfort or pain by changing our circumstances, possible only some under only some circumstances, or reduce the habit of congealing or freezing up around the discomfort, which is always possible. Similarly, there are two ways to increase our fulfillment in pleasure. Increase the pleasure, not always possible, and often leads to addictions, or learn to contact even the subtlest pleasure clearly, eliminating the congealing, which is always possible. The two opinions are not, the two options are not mutually exclusive. Many times it is possible to do both of them. And yet only with the second option do we have the true freedom that does not depend on situations or circumstances. To reduce or eliminate our freezing, grasping, or holding is what I call mindfulness skill. When we have achieved this skill and can use it on a moment-to-moment basis in our feeling lives, 
we are free to be persons of complete feeling rather than rigidify and fixate on either fears of pain or desires for pleasure we find ourselves flowing through our emotional lives feeling the incredible lightness of our being a person of complete feeling fully and poignantly senses and expresses the whole range of human emotions this person would never have to cut off from other people or from oneself because emotional life was too overwhelming so i just like to stop there and we have a few more minutes if anybody has um, any questions or comments anything they'd like to share Well, um, it, it can be a, a really good opportunity for practice. And um, so, you know, this habit of, um, of pushing away what's unpleasant is a very, very deep, habit in our consciousness and so um, naturally when that happens we're going to um, probably want something else you know not not this we don't want this um, and that's just normal and natural as human beings but um, in this practice as the title of this talk is welcoming things as they are um, we can um, see if we can um, develop this attitude of welcoming towards it and um, the thing is that even the slightest bit of our of our wanting it to go away um, feeds that Um, habit of mind so we we can um, just be as patient with ourselves as possible as gentle with ourselves as possible 
and maybe can remember um, what Shinzen says about discomfort, that this is welcoming as an opportunity uh, rather than as an obstacle to our meditation practice. Um, and, you know, then even if um, we can't, um, even if it stays for years or whatever, even that, you know, when we sit to meditate, that's you know, what's there and that aversion to it is there. Um, we, by, you know, just practicing over and over again, um, renewing this um, intention to be open and to be accepting of whatever arises, um, you know, we, we develop good qualities we, that can help us develop patience. And um, it can help us to uh, to loosen the aversion, the habit of aversion. So, you know, just um, you know, just to I mean, we can try and you know, like just firmly decide to hang on to the breath or something like that. You know? Um, and over, you know, over time, we can experiment with different things. But really, that um, you know, those kind of things. I mean, I, I kind of now welcome the, the tensions um, in the body. Um, I know that they're. Uh, I mean, not always. Not completely. <laughs> well, I, mean, yeah. I try to work with it, but sometimes it's almost like, uh, you know, it makes me hyperly aware of it, and then I try to accept it, and then it seems to like treat it more. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, maybe like um, seeing if it's, well, I, I guess there's, you know, here's two suggestions that you might try. One is that, um, you can, like, part of the time, notice that sensation, and like we did in the meditation, really see if you can soak your awareness into it, and, and just see if you can become interested in it. Like, how how large is it? Is it always staying the same size, or sometimes is it getting bigger? Uh, does it always have like very um, distinct borders, or sometimes are the borders kind of diffuse? And just really have a precise awareness about um, you know, really being in, interested in investigating it. Um, is it, you know, what are the, is it like an aching or is sometimes there an itching or a burning or, you know, is, or is it always just this pressure? You, know, you can, you know, really investigate it. And then the other thing that you can do um, is you can um, move your awareness in other parts of the body and notice um, you know, like no tension, you know, no whatever, you know, but in other parts of the body that isn't present. And um, you know, sometimes that can um, can help to, uh, for the um, equanimity to, to come in. Um, so those are a couple things that we could, could try. Thank you for asking.
Ja, ik ben het echt Yeah, that's true. I mean, you can um, be with the breath while other things are are happening. That can kind of be our anchor, and uh, other things can arise, but still we can have some contact with the with the breath. Thank you for sharing that. things that Shenzhen suggests to people is to see if you can keep some, like even when you're in your doing your activities, to see if you can keep some awareness in the body. Um, that can be really grounding. And you know, when we are, we, we tend to mostly think a lot and kind of get distracted and lost in the, the thought. And even though it, it might, the sensations in the body might not be um, especially pleasant, um, if we can keep some awareness um, in the body, 
and sometimes even like noticing neutral things like there's so much that we don't notice so sometimes if we can you know just bring our awareness um, you know maybe to the touch of the clothes um, you know what's that sensation like of the clothes touching the body sometimes that can help to ground us or um, kind of bringing us back to the present moment um, by contacting the environment so you know like what are we seeing right now and what sounds are happening right now um, that can help us to come back to the to the moment and kind of uh, give us some space from whatever um, stories are coming up in our minds and that also that that's also a good uh, technique if there's anxiety or fear that's coming up um, just to kind of ground ourselves in, in um, more neutral sensations maybe um, you know, if we're sitting some you know sitting just kind of notice um, the sensations of uh, you know what kind of sensations are felt in the buttocks as we sit I do that a lot driving just come back to just feeling what it's like for the body to sit in the car, the touch of the hands on the wheel, the touch of the buttocks on the um, cushion and uh, the, the car seat. And that can really be a way to you know, ground us and bring us back to the present moment. Anybody else? One more question. Anyone has a burning? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is possible. But um, it's, you know, like I said, that this habit of wanting things to be different, it's just so strong that um, just, yeah, yes. And so just to acknowledge that, I mean, most of the time we, we don't acknowledge that. You know, we're constantly doing whatever we can to escape it. And... Um, so now we're developing this entirely new habit. And, you know, like Shinsen mentioned, so, you know, sometimes we can also look at, um, see what kind of pleasant sensations are happening. And we know a lot of times we, we get so focused on the unpleasant that we want that to go away. Then when the pleasant arises, we don't pay attention to that. So we can train ourselves to notice the pleasant and also the neutral. We, you know, we don't tend to pay attention to the neutral either. So those things can kind of help to, because um, you know, sometimes the resistance can be you know, really strong and, and um, 
you know, Shinzen has a great line, um, accepting that we can't accept is still in the ballpark. <laughs> so, so uh, accepting that we can't accept is still in the ballpark. <laughs> and then what, one more question. You have a question. Experience with swallowing and meditation. <laughs> <I'm> still, <laughs> but um, it's, uh, I mean, what you said about like you're having a pleasant experience, you, and then the swallowing came up and there was a resistance to that. So, um, you know, what in mindfulness practice we we would really welcome the the swallowing or you know in, in the meditation that we did of just letting the awareness shift 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 that's happening all the time um, that shifting awareness and so um, you know that's you know we can have continuous awareness of the shifting so now the awareness is here we can soak the awareness in now the awareness is here soak the awareness in now you know the swallowing and and not so much to we're not so much interested in knowing the source of it but just actually to be with whatever the sensation is in the present moment and to just be as welcoming to that as we can be and to be accepting of when we can't be welcoming. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.